Well, you know, people think of a poacher and they think it's just Joe Soap from the bush that's that's stealing these animals, but it unfortunately is organized crime. Thanks for tuning in to episode 13 of season one, We Blue Dot, a conservation podcast. Enjoy listening. Welcome everybody, wherever you're listening from, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of We Blue Dot. It's so exciting to have not one, but three guests on the show today, Yolandi, Sarah and Zanri from the Rhino Orphanage in South Africa. They're here to tell us all about their amazing work, their experience and how listeners at home can support them. The organisation provides specialist care to the orphans of the rhino poaching crisis and as one of my favourite animals, it's personally very important to me to spread the word. Um, So with that, thank you to all three of you for joining us and welcome to We Blue Dot. Thank you. (laughs) Hi Katie, thanks thanks for having us. Thanks for having a chat with us. (laughs) No problem. As I say, I asked for one and I got three, so it's great. Um, <laughs> we're, we're, we're a close-knit family. <laughs> so first of all, um, before we get into talking about rhinos, can, you, can each of you just introduce yourselves, tell us a little bit about your role and, and how long you've been involved with the rhino orphanage? Sure, my name is Yolandi and I'm the animal and care manager here at the rhino orphanage. I have been involved with it since its inception way back in 2012, and I've been managing for the board of directors permanently for three and a half years. Um, come from a conservation background, worked at a wildlife center before, was a game ranger for eight and a half years. So yeah, here I am doing what I love. <laughs> so you got a bit, quite a bit of experience then, that's cool. <laughs> I'm Sarah. I'm a long-term volunteer here at the Rhino Orphanage. Um, I've been coming backwards and forwards for the last three years. Um, So I was here for three months to begin with, and then I went home, sorted out my visa, came back for nine months, went home again, was supposed to be there for three months, but COVID happened. (laughs) Um, And I ended up being in Australia for nine months. But now I've been back since November and I'm here for three years. Wow. So basically I started off as a three-month volunteer and I just never left. (laughs) 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 It's stuck with me for another three years now. But um, I studied at home in Australia for two years. Um, So the courses that you have to do to be a zookeeper over there. Um, I'm a dual citizen. So I moved to the UK and worked at Chester Zoo. I cool. went there for a three-month internship and then ended up staying there for 18 months working with rhinos. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and then I travelled around Africa for about four months, just over four months, and then it happened to seal in and I could come to the orphanage. Um, and then, yeah, the rest is history and I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> Fell in love with the place then by the sides of things. Definitely. The bush, the bummies and my TRO family. <laughs> cool and Zanry not, not to mention the boy in town that as well cool and Zanry what about you um yeah I'm Zanry and um I've been working here at the orphanage for about four years um just before that I studied captive animal management and then also some other uh, conservation stuff um and 
yeah, it's just the, the runner orphanage is my actual first job and I haven't left since. I love it too much over here. I don't want to go. <laughs> I can't get rid of any of this. No. <laughs> People always want to know, oh, do you have any vacancies? Like, no, sorry, they can't get rid of us. <laughs> So is it, are you guys the core team or are there more people that work with you as well? So we are four permanent carers and then we also get short-term volunteers or COVID has prevented us from getting any the last year and a bit. Um, and then we've got a one position open for a long-term volunteer, which Sarah, of course, has now occupied until December 2023, <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> unfortunately. <laughs> so, um, yeah, we're quite a, a small team. Um, and then, of course, our board of directors, uh, our founder and managing director, Ari, and his wife does our financial stuff and HR division. And we've got one general worker that helps with all the really hard stuff digging and fencing and, and, and things like that and then we've got an internal security guy that's at the orphanage permanently and then of course we've got an outsourced uh, anti-poaching team making sure that we're safe and all the bummies are safe as well the bunnies is that what you call them <laughs> yeah bummies they're rhino bums have you ever seen how <laughs> bums are <laughs> 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 yeah, no, as I said to you guys, like, I mean, I, I fell in love with rhinos when I, I worked, as I said, randomly at Safari Park in Scotland. But yeah, it was it's white rhinos that we that we had. And um, I got to see quite a few young. Uh, and yeah, there's just so they're so cool. And they all, as you'll tell us, they all have their own characters and they're they're such like yeah. cheeky little things. But I'm really interested in prehistoric animals and ancient history and stuff. So, I mean, they just look so prehistoric to me as well. So that's, I think, why I've got a, a soft spot for them. But um, but yeah, they like a bum scratch. I know that. I know that. <laughs> yeah, yes. they do. <laughs> <laughs> they like a, a mud bath and a bum scratch. Yeah, I used to be delivering talks to like hundreds of people in the rhinos would just come up to the fence and want me to scratch their bums so yeah it was always it was always good fun but no it sounds like a cool place I mean can you tell us a wee bit more about it um I mean the kind of general so you're down in South Africa and and what are the kind of aim, main aims of the of the organization so in 2010 um the poaching of rhinos escalated tremendously and there was no facility ethical facility to send orphaned rhino calves to because very often they poach females and babies are left behind and there was a big need for a dedicated rhino facility so my boss Ari I will never forget this day in 2011 he got a phone call from a farm not far from where I was based at the wildlife center and this guy had gunshots fired ringing around his house early hours of the morning and had some of his rhinos poached. And then there was a calf left behind. And he had asked Ari where to send this calf. And Ari said, well, there must be lots of places. I will phone around and I'll let you know within the hour. And he started phoning around and he couldn't find any place to send this calf to. And then he got in contact with some people um some conservation organizations and south african national parks and they were actually in discussions for the last 18 months way back then um as to what to do with all these orphaned rhino calves and Ari made a promise to them on the phone that day and i still remember at the 28th of august 2011 walked into the office and said i'm gonna build a rhino orphanage and my my jaw just, just dropped I was like okay here we go <laughs> 
yeah and then a year later it was officially open and registered and we haven't looked back it's been a tough road um but our sole aim is to raise the calves ethically so we're strictly a non-profit non-tourism non-visitor facility so we don't allow public interaction with the rhino calves and our sole purpose is to release them back into the wild obviously when it is safe to do so yeah and um, so that's so is it just nearly 10 years ago did you say that it, it started yeah next year is our 10th birthday august next year yeah <laughs> and then i mean well as, as you mentioned there that was it you said there was a huge kind of increase suddenly in poaching so that was why there was more of a demand for and a need um so before we get into that can you can you explain to listeners what species of rhino you have over there and and which do you work with mostly uh, we mostly get white rhino calves. They are uh, the more, let's call it the more common one, although there's very few left. They estimate the population currently at about 14,000, but we think that's an overestimate. The Kruger National Park has recently released that they have lost 67% or they have 67% of their rhino population left. So that is, that's shocking. Mm-hmm. Um, we do occasionally get black rhino calves as well, but black rhinos, the population is even smaller, looking at about 5,000 or so. And they, you know, because of their behavior, they're not easy to find. They're very secretive, very aggressive. Ari says they're born without a sense of humor. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so it is, it's, it's more difficult to find them uh, for poachers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we mostly mostly have white rhino calves in our care. And as you said, um, they even though there there are hardly any of them left either, they're doing the best, aren't they? Out of all the rhino um, species, there's the white and black, isn't there? In Africa, that then there's the Indian rhino, and then is it Sumatran and Javan as well? It was quite often yeah. when I when I used to speak to people, you know, pub, the public coming into a zoo, they didn't. You just think of rhinos in Africa. They don't really realise there 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 used to be a lot more, I'm sure, as well, all over the planet. But yeah. um, but at the moment, they're they're all struggling, and as you say, the white rhino are kind of doing the best, but their numbers are still ridiculously low. So yeah, I, I presumed it was white rhinos mostly you worked with, but I imagine you might yeah now and again get some little black ones in. But I think probably they're quite cheeky, <laughs> even more cheeky than. Oh, they're so cute, yes. <laughs> you know, it's actually quite interesting because the black rhinos coming from a wild setting, they actually tame quicker than white rhinos. Okay. But they rewild quicker than them as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so they go from being all nice and kind, and you let them out back into the wild, and they'll turn on you. <laughs> yeah. So you know, they tame easier than white rhinos do. Oh, they're all so cute, though. I love them. So, um, <laughs> before we get into chatting about kind of a day in the life of you guys, can you can you just explain a little bit about the threats that rhinos are facing over there, um, and why yeah why there's a need for an orphanage in the first place? Well, you know, people think of a poacher and they think it's just Joe Soap from the bush that's that's stealing these animals. But it unfortunately is organized crime. Um, it's the same syndicates that traffic humans and, and heroin and cocaine and, and those kind of things. So that's what makes it so difficult. It makes it a full blown war out there mm-hmm. is because we're fighting money. And it's one of the most thing, difficult things you can possibly fight because money corrupts the best of souls. So we have seen in South Africa veterinarians who have dedicated their whole lives to helping animals getting involved in this whole poaching thing. Um, Good people 
actually get corrupt by it. So it makes it very difficult because you've got people high up um, in in the government, in organizations and, and, and so forth that also get involved and unfortunately get involved in this whole rhino horn trade and, and poaching. So it is difficult. The threats are out there and they've got so much money and they receive so much money, unfortunately, for rhino horn that they can have the best night vision scopes and the best rifles and, and things like that to actually do the deeds. Mm-hmm. And it's difficult for organizations who are struggling anti-poaching organizations and and, uh, conservation organizations that have very limited funds to properly equip um, their field ranges to deal with this. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of poor people on top of it that will do anything for money. I mean, some of these guys from Mozambique uh, get paid three years salary for one rhino horn. You know, and who's not going to say yes to that when they're hungry and their families are starving. So not only are these poaching syndicates exploiting wildlife, but they're also exploiting poor people, which is very sad. And those guys that most often get caught, the runners doing the dirty work, they're replaceable. There's always around the next corner, there's another poor guy that's desperate. So it is extremely, extremely difficult to find a solution to this problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, uh, listeners might know, obviously, but it's basically the, uh, the horn is believed to have all sort of kind of medicinal properties and things like that, isn't it? So there's a kind of demand um, for it in certain countries. Um, in some countries, they also carve it, don't they, I think, into, into kind of... Yeah handles and things so so it's um yeah so it's just basically the demand for it that's that's kind of pushing it i suppose driving it yeah no absolutely that that's the problem and that's what these syndicates are driving as well you know and the prices are sky high at the moment sky mm. high sixty-eight thousand us dollars per kilogram wow yeah it's 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 scary and people believe that it's China, and it is to a certain extent, but Vietnam and Laos, they're actually the big culprits at the moment. Uh-huh. The Vietnamese have special markets where the Chinese actually go and buy because it's it's a, a criminal act to buy rhino horn in China. So, yeah, no, it's, uh-huh. it's a scary world out there. It's really scary. Yeah, I know. And, and the thing is, I mean, um, different areas have different beliefs and have been brought up in different ways. But the reality, as I used to tell people, it is their horns are just made out of keratin. You know, quite a lot of people would call them rhino tusks. So, and I would talk to them about the difference between, you know, an elephant ivory tusk and a rhino horn. And it is just literally made out of keratin. So it's the same kind of material, you know, as your nails. Um, or That's why they kind of file it down, isn't it? You know, they've got to kind of shape it and, and look after it. So it, it is literally just keratin um yeah so it's 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 the same material that's found in a lot of other species in particular like the us for example in our hair and nails um so but they are i mean uh, they are such amazing creatures um as as we all know <laughs> because we've got to see them up close um so tell I'll talk us through a we like a kind of day in the life then of 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 your of your job i mean there's so many different aspects of it we can cover but um when a new, what happens if you get a call that there's a new orphan? What's the kind of procedure in place and, and how do you go about that? So we'll get a call um, and majority of the time, they're about two, two and a half hour drive away. Um, it depends where they are as to if we go to them or they come to us or we meet them halfway. 
whether it's from a national park or a private owner, there's so many different variables of what happens, how big they are. If they're a bigger calf, will take a trailer. If they're a smaller calf, they'll go in the back of um, the BMW (laughs) with us (laughs) on a mattress. (laughs) It's amazing driving down the road and there's like people looking at the car like, oh is there a rhino in there <laughs> um so they'll be um sedated they have a blindfold on and their ears are plugged to um minimize what's going on around them and to keep them a little bit calmer um and then once we get them here we stabilize them and then find out if they've got any injuries get them like to a point where we think they're ready and stable enough and then we'll start to reverse the um sedation and wake them up and once they start waking up they do they start walking in circles Mm -hmm. so they'll circle and circle and circle and circle and it's just the drugs wearing off but they're on a drip as well so you're holding the drip stand up and walking around in circles for oh every rhino is different so it could be like four hours it could be 12 hours one of the rhinos was 30 36 hours 39 39 hours they walked around in circles for oh no we did not sit down for 39 hours so and then once they like get out of their circling phase we try and get them on the bottle as quickly as we can so we use the bottle as a um connection so we'll try to keep them blindfolded and the um ears plugged until they're onto the bottle so once we take the blindfold off it's like a um comfort for them so they don't freak out if they've got the bottle in front of them. Um, but it's a very slow process and each calf is very different. Annie that we just had in recently, she was quite difficult. She's the most difficult rhino I've ever dealt with being here. <laughs> um, she was a challenge. <laughs> yes, she was a real challenge because um, she would walk around in circles and then throw herself on the floor. Um, have so we'll have to try and... Yeah, normally we'd have, um, you only have two carers in there at a time and we had to have three in with her. So we had to have two people bracing her and one person carrying the drip line. Mm. But then you can have some that are immediately connected straight away. Mm-hmm. So once the blindfold and the earplugs are out, it's just basically building that bond with them. You need to bond with them so you can do things basically so you can feed them the bottle you can give them the dry food etc etc and then hopefully fingers crossed we have a rhino that's around their size and age that we can introduce them to so they're not dependent on us for too long we had Khaleesi he how old is he now he is 19 months going on 19 months yes um he I don't you said you follow the page, but if anybody else follows the page, he's the little boy that got his foot eaten by the hyenas. Oh no! And they basically is this on reached- your is this on your Facebook page and stuff? Yes, it is. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, his story's all over there. Yeah, um, we were with him for quite a long time, obviously because he had his injury, and we couldn't introduce him to other rhinos because he we had to get a hold of the injury beforehand. So he was quite bonded like with us same with Mapimpi when he came in he was quite small as well we didn't have a rhino his age to introduce him to but we like to try and do that as quickly as possible so they have a friend yeah to have a, a playmate yeah 
Yeah, basically. So you don't have a six-month-old rhino trying to play with you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because they're even at that age, they're big. They're massive, they I know. Yeah, you're talking about around 260 yeah. kilograms at that age already. So. <laughs> yeah, no, I remember when one of the ones I used to work with when she was born, she was about eight stone. And, you know, they've got such big feet and big floppy ears and, and then they get big pretty quickly. Yeah, so, I, yeah, I, I can imagine. Um, but it's good for them as well to... I mean, the, the, I imagine there's, they go through a, a lot of trauma and, and they don't, you know, it'll take them a while to understand what's happened and what's going on. Um, so it's much better to have other rhinos around to, to kind of play with and spend time with. But they must, they must get quite attached to you guys as well. Um, you provide the food and the milk and stuff. Um, I mean, what's the youngest one you've ever had come in? Do you, have you had some that are really young? We had a Nyani who was maybe a day old. Oh, no. Yeah. yeah, she was tiny and she had a lot of gut problems. She didn't get the classroom from the mom, so started to develop pneumonia as well. So she was in a bad way. She had to go to Unersport, uh, our veterinary faculty, our vet school in South Africa. We only have the one. and But she pulled through. She's still with us. So, yeah, mm-hmm. even today. Uh, and then most recently would be Mapin B, which was about, well, somewhere between five and seven days old when his mum was poached. Oh, wow. So, yeah. And, you know, with those little ones, they, they bond with us tremendously. We can't put them with the older calves because that places them under a lot of stress. Um, they're constantly on the defense and fighting and bickering and it's additional stress and they're already compromised. So, yeah. And they need that love, you know, they at their mother's foot 24-7. They, rhinos are very tactile animals they love contact Mm -hmm. when rhinos lie down in a game reserve or a national park they will always touch each other Mm -hmm. they're always connected to each other and that's why we give these little babies so much love and to a certain point um once they weaned we withdraw the human contact as much as we can Mm -hmm. and then they're only released around the age of five years old so yeah it gives them a, a good while to rehabilitate and become a bit wilder so that they don't obviously walk up to to poachers and, and that sort of thing for belly scratches yeah but no I understand though but I, I know as I say the the ones I've worked with they, they do just literally I, I used to laugh at you know one of the young when she was about two years old still just following her mum around and trying to harass her and the mum was getting to the point you know she was fed up with her and wanting a bit of peace but they, they do get so big as well so quickly so I mean you guys must have quite a lot of space I then I imagine to to kind of house a lot of them at one time particularly when they get a bit bigger so and do you kind of take them out as groups and stuff into different areas or, or do you start trying to training them how to be wild rhinos again when they're a bit older <laughs> well um we do take the younger calves on bushwalks you can only really successfully do that up to maximum of a year old because then they just don't listen anymore and they weigh half a ton so yeah <laughs> it becomes a bit of a problem <laughs> when you have a teenager that's half a ton and it doesn't want to listen wants to <laughs> yeah. do it wants to do its own thing so but we do have different camps um different size camps so we'll have day camps so they can be a little bit more independent as I mentioned they're only weaned at 18 to 24 months old and then from there they they go to sub-adult camps and then to pre-release camp and then off to a game reserve or back home depends on where they come from and I mean I was listening to you um 
Sarah talking about putting the earplugs in and obviously the kind of covering up their eyes. I mean, for anyone listening who doesn't know, they've got really good hearing, don't they? They've got a really good sense of smell. Um, so that's why they're so big, isn't it? They've got such big ears. But it just would help calm them down, I imagine. But what kind of phases do they go through I mean after the kind of traumatic period of the first few days or weeks I mean I imagine it causes quite a lot of mental and kind of emotional trauma for for them losing their their mothers or or I mean from what I've seen on your website they themselves also quite often have injuries and and go through quite traumatic experiences so do they all have different characters that I imagine it takes each one a different kind of period of time to recover yeah, they do. Um, like, Mpimpi's very blasé. Like, he's mm-hmm. very, like, oh, I'll just go with the flow. Like, I'll follow you or I'll go lay down. Where um, Annie, who he's friends with, she's quite sassy. Like, if she doesn't <laughs> want to do something, she's not doing it. <laughs> or, if, or if Pimpy is annoying her, she'll draw him in, like, to the battling with each other say it that way um she'll draw him in and then just give him one good hit and walk away (laughs) (laughs) so yeah she's quite like sassy and feisty where he's quite laid back but even when they come in we we seen with Khaleesi because his mum wasn't poached he had the injury so that's why he came to us Mm -hmm. he was very defensive very 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 defensive because you can imagine in his eyes he went to sleep with his mum and then he woke up and he was in a four-wall room. He's got a sore foot and he's obviously been sedated, so he's not all there. Um, so it took us quite a while to win Khaleesi over. <laughs> um, had to wear cricket pads on our shins when we were in there. Yes. He, he was a bit of a wild child, but he had reason to be. Yeah. Um, he, went, he went through a lot when he was little. And we find that calves like that that haven't they've never had a um they've never had time to be on their own. So mm-hmm. when they're like their mum's poached, they're by themselves, they're scared, they're worried, desperate. they're hungry, yeah, desperate. So it makes sometimes it makes it a little bit easier to get them to trust us because they want that love, they know the food's coming from us, they want to be connected to something where with the calves that come in due to injury or something like that, it's, well, hang on a second. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I was with my mum and now I'm not. What's happening? Um, they never had that time to feel alone, basically. Mm. Yeah. But then you do have, like I said, the Pimpy's quite laid back where Annie's quite feisty. Mm-hmm. And then Khaleesi, he, ooh. That rhino, he can be so lovely, like so lovely. Once his belly tickles and everything, and the next minute he's you're running behind a tree. <laughs> and he's after you. And he lures you in. Yeah. <laughs> and he just, yeah, he just wants to play. He's just playing. He's not being aggressive. He's just yeah yeah well, that's what I was going to say they can yeah. they can move they can run fast oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sunray, 
raised in court a few times running behind a tree with a close proximity. <laughs> People see the size of them and they think that they're big slow things, but yeah, when you see them running, um, yeah, they can they can move fast and and particularly even, oh, yeah. even when they're young, they you know they're still giant, they're still really strong. So so no, I can imagine as I say, um, it must be fun in games, but it's good that they have I guess that kind of wild side as well because if they're being re-released yeah. back into the wild eventually you want them to be able to stand their corner and 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 look after That's themselves <laughs> yeah well you've mentioned you know how each calf has such a different personality um do you work specifically each of you with certain ones or do you just kind of mix it up and and everybody works with everybody you probably have your favorites <laughs> <laughs> like we're not allowed to have <laughs> Yeah, we'll keep that to ourselves. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so at the moment we do all uh, work with them, but as soon as there's a, a baby coming in, um, it's usually just uh, Yulandi working with them, and then uh, she allocates a person to work with her on that, that baby just to get that baby stable. And then thereafter, as soon as the baby's settled in and everything, a person will come in and just get used to the baby. The baby gets used to us uh, um, and our smell. Uh, so, but eventually everyone like sleeps with them and walks with them, plays with them. We love playing with them. <laughs> all all the, the permanent carers and uh, of course there are long-term volunteer. It's all about the bonding, you know. We can't have like for instance, a short-term volunteer that's only here for three or four weeks bond with a baby because they've already lost their mom once. Mm -hmm. And that's the role you take on. So you can't keep breaking their hearts. Mm -hmm. So the short-term volunteers will help to feed milk and, and things like that. But the sleeping with the baby, taking him on bush walks, there will always be a permanent mom there mm -hmm. to keep that baby calm because it's stressful for them. Yeah. It's very stressful. In the past, we've had three-month volunteers and we've noticed severe signs of stress in the form of sand eating. They compulsively eat sand when they're stressed, uh, almost like a displacement behavior. And we change over with three-month volunteers and they'll start eating sand. Mm. So, and that's, that's fatal for them if you don't control that and get the sand out of their gut. It yeah. can kill them. So they're very sensitive animals in that regard. And so all our permanent carers and, and staff will be doing the, the bonding work and that, that role of mum. And then our short-term volunteers will assist uh, with the rest of the duties and, and making milk and things like that. Mm -hmm. And so you mentioned earlier on that you, so do you, are you starting to have um, some kind of short-term volunteers come in? Obviously COVID's maybe affected it uh, this last year, but do you have people over the next few months um, that are going to come and help out? Uh, yes, we've got our first two uh, short-term volunteers uh, in the next two weeks. Um, and they are coming here for about 14 days. But the normal, the normal time period for the, the short-term volunteers are up to about eight days. So these guys are just going to... They double. Yeah, they're just double, uh, doubling it so, mm -hmm. to get the feeling and everything. So, yeah. yeah. There, there's still gaps in the year. There's still gaps, obviously, with a lot of countries being advised not to travel to South Africa, not being able to get travel insurance and that sort of thing. Um, but there, there's also some South Africans that are willing to devote their time to come and help. So, mm -hmm. yeah, we, um, we had last year at the first lockdown in South Africa in March, we had Larice, uh, she's now on off days, 
and she was initially going to stay only four weeks and she's still here and this is now a year and two months ago so <laughs> yeah yeah I would love to help out um I don't know when I'll be able to come over from Scotland but how do you I mean yeah how has COVID affected you guys over the last year I mean as I was saying to you before we started recording it's affected everybody in the world in so many different ways but how's it affected you in particular at the Rhino Orphanage? <laughs> it's had it's had a big impact um like for myself that was supposed to come back um so I was supposed to only be gone for three months and then be back for three years mm-hmm. and so that six month bracket it was a when are you come back? You come back, you're not coming back. Coming mm. back, you're not coming back. You just don't know. And with the three-month um, volunteer program that um, we ran previously, it just stopped. It, there wasn't even any warning. It was just done. Like yeah. no one's travelling, nothing. So, And normally it was um, the three-month volunteers would be overseas, mm-hmm. people that were coming. So you have all these people that are booked in for or you're booked in a year in advance. Yeah, nearly. Yeah, yeah, a year or over in advance. So all those people that you've got booked in for a year mm-hmm. couldn't come, and that's three positions. And losing three people is a huge impact. Yeah, on and, a daily basis. And even uh, we had like a UK volunteer over here at that stage, and uh, she had to book flights back to the UK because of COVID. Same time. <laughs> so we had to like. We yeah, we had to think fast about what we're gonna do because at that time we were only three uh, staff members with no volunteers, and then there was a baby rhino at that stage. Um, so we yeah, there we were had, quite a few baby rhinos. Yes. Yes. We had four babies in fifty six days. Murphy's law. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. But it was also, I mean, South Africa was under lockdown. We couldn't travel from one province to the next, which we often do if we have to fetch calves. But luckily, we could register as an essential service because of the wildlife aspect. So we were allowed to travel, but we had to be so careful. You know, we can't get sick because these animals depend on us. Mm -hmm. If we get sick, there's literally no one to take care of them. It's Mm -hmm. a specialized job. And that was our main worry is that someone's going to get sick or everyone's going to get sick. And then what about these rhinos? Yeah. That was the big worry. It was mm. a big worry. So is it starting to ease over there? I mean, are, are things starting to open up now? Um, things are open, yes. We went down to what, what they call level one, uh, which means that most things, it's only like huge gatherings and, and things like that that's not permitted. But the third wave is threatening. It is threatening. We're waiting for it. So, you know, all the, the strange variants of this virus going around in, in different countries. Yeah, I guess we'll have to just sit up and, and wait and see what happens. Yeah, I mean, over here in Scotland, I mean, it's a bit different, but things are touched with at the moment getting better. But yeah, there are constant kind of new outbreaks and stuff. So um, I think people are just learning to live with it a little bit more. And, and it's the new kind of normal, isn't it? But we're lucky. I mean, we are getting vaccines and stuff over here. But as you say, there's so many variants, who knows what's going to happen? Has it affected the amount of poaching that's going on? I mean, in general, because I imagine there are maybe less people on the ground in certain areas and stuff. During the lockdown, it was actually very quiet, you know, because the horns couldn't get out of the country. There were literally no flights out of the country. Mm. So they couldn't sneak the horns out. So it went quiet. And then last year, November, when our lockdown eased up a lot, 
it suddenly escalated. Mm. Suddenly, one of our game reserves in the north of the country found eight rhino carcasses in, I think, five days or something ridiculous oh. like that. And everyone, you know, the, the the total number per year has gone down, but that's because the population is now smaller. Mm. So a lot of people are rejoicing that we're not over a thousand rhinos like we were in 2015, 2016. Over a thousand rhinos per year got poached in those years. The thing is that it's just the population is literally smaller. It's getting more difficult to find these rhinos. The poachers are still out there. And they're also now going for dehorned rhinos because they'll, they'll dehorn rhinos to deter the poachers, you know, but they can't take the whole entire horn off. There's always about a kilo or a kilo and a half of horn left on that face and they'll take it. Yeah. So that, that's the other thing now. And they're even going for small calves now because of that little stubby horn they have. So it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I used to say that to people, as you say, like, I mean, as you, as, as you say, people will dehorn them, but they're still a, a kind of a bit, you know, in the, in the actual head and the face that, that they can get. But I used to say that with our little baby, even when she was, you know, maybe not even a year old, she had a little horn. So yeah, yeah people will unfortunately go for them yeah. but as you say I mean I can't imagine anything like that but if it's if it's poorer a poorer person who's trying to get money I can understand um why but it's they're just there's there, there are so few of them left and they're such cool creatures um and as I say all sorts of different rhinos have been all over the planet for thousands and thousands of years it would be such a shame if they all start to continue to disappear yeah. and it's the I mean the southern for anyone listening that's not really that aware it's the southern right southern white rhino that there are kind of more of isn't it and it's the northern white rhino that was in the news you know over recent years that there are only is it only two of them left or something and they they're not going to breed so I mean they're just they're very similar obviously but they are just slowly kind of starting to disappear unfortunately yeah, it's, yeah. it is the the northern white rhino race there's only two females left and both of them are struggling to fall pregnant so um, they've been trying different kinds of methods, um, harvesting oocytes or eggs from the females. Luckily, there was a lot of um, sperm and oocytes harvested from uh, females and males, respectively, and, and frozen. Mm. So they're now trying to, and we've, we've got a veterinarian in South Africa that's part of this whole project, um, trying to create embryos and they've now managed nine northern white rhino embryos that's cryogenically frozen and they're mm -hmm. trying to find the right stage in a rhino cycle to do an uh, in vitro and they're planning to plant these embryos into southern white rhino cows to be the, the surrogate mothers so yeah it's a it's a huge project um we have made available some of our older females as well for oocyte harvesting or ovum pickups as they call it and uh also for artificial insemination uh, just to try and further the knowledge base on, on that field so it's exciting and we'll have to see what happens yeah because the last mm -hmm. northern white rhino male died in 2018 i think it was so it's, it's sad, you know, and there's actually a race of, of black rhino that's also now extinct, and that's the Western black rhino. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, we just can't, we can't afford to lose more races of rhinos and species of rhinos. It's, it's, it would be a great, great loss for the planet. Yeah, and they not not only do we all think they're cool, they obviously play a really important part, like all species, but they play an important part in the in the you know in the habitats that they live in. They all exactly. do. Um, exactly. So it's it's they're all part of the bigger picture of what's kind of 
contributing to a healthy environment um, in that area of the world. So, so yeah, they, they are so important. But it's great. What you guys are doing is obviously great. And I, and I know that a lot of people follow you on your Facebook and, and follow all the different stories. I really like the kind of personal touch that, you know, you, you post pictures of the individual, you know, they all have names and they all have characters <laughs> and it's like a little story you can follow. Well, we'll go on to that then. I mean, how can people who are listening learn more about you guys and are there any ways they can support your work yes absolutely we do have obviously the need for donations that's you know it's a kind of an expensive hobby this whole thing of raising rhinos <laughs> <laughs> um security and, and food and medical bills can rack up very quickly and we are a non-profit and we do not get any support from the government so it's it's vital that you know luckily there's a lot of good hearts out there and a lot of people that love rhinos <laughs> so you can do a once-off donation or you can adopt a rhino um you can support it monthly so the rhino remains with us obviously it doesn't go <laughs> home and mows your lawn for you um, <laughs> but to give you an idea you know people always want to gauge you know kind of what it costs but to, for us to raise a baby from five or seven days old um, will take about almost 6,000 liters of milk in the period that it drinks milk. And the milk is very expensive. So, you know, it, for that sole reason, we need support. But medical bills, like with Annie, Annie had problems with her eyes. So she, we had to get an eye specialist in. And it's a lot of money in one go. So, yeah, donations and then spreading the word, um, sharing our page, liking the page, sharing the stories. It, if people think that it only has to be a financial contribution, but not necessarily. Spreading the word is just as important. The word of mouth is really, really important. So, yeah. And then we also provide wish lists if people don't wish to give us money. You know, there are some dishonest people out there that will fundraise under a fake name and pretend that they will save rhinos to raise money. Unfortunately, that's the other end of the spe spectrum, apart from the poaching, is that exploitation. But people don't always want to give money, so they'll rather give an item. We do have wish lists available. Um, so, yeah, there's, there's different ways that people can get involved and, mm -hmm. you know, spread the word and, and help the rhinos. Yeah, I think, and hopefully via this, um, I can, some more people that I know at least will, will learn about the rhino orphanage. And as you say, I think the good thing about social media and, and all this kind of stuff means that people all over the world can can contribute. It don't have to be close to um, South Africa. So yeah, it, um, I think I think it's safe to say everybody I know loves rhinos. I don't think I know anybody who doesn't think they're amazing. So, so hopefully <laughs> you'll get some donations out of this. And the last thing I usually ask people that are on as guests is a lot of people listening will be thinking, oh, I'd love to get into that line of work or I, I, they'd like to get into the conservation field. What advice, I know you're maybe all at different stages of different experience and stuff, but what advice would you give to anyone listening? You know, if, they, if they're listening and they want to work with rhinos or they want to work in conservation, what advice would you give them? Well, thinking back to when I started out and, and studied way back <laughs> in 2001, if I could do it over, I would volunteer more. Yeah. That is the <laughs> best advice I can give any young person out there is go and volunteer. And volunteer for as long as you possibly can with a place. Because, I mean, and I speak for the orphanage as well, two people that used to volunteer here have gotten permanent positions with us. 
and and that's I think a fairly standard rule out there. <laughs> you know, just go and volunteer, follow your heart. Um, you know, my dad always said, no, you've got to go into IT conservation because I started studying nature conservation. There's no money in it. And yes, there's no money in it. <laughs> no, there's the not. The you get from it is it's worth its weight in gold. I wouldn't change it for the world. Yes, I can't always afford everything or a fancy car or a fancy house, a fancy this, a fancy that. Um, sometimes there's a hole in my shoes <laughs> and there's a hole in my pants, but I wouldn't have it any other way. I really wouldn't. Yeah. And just never give up. Yeah, never give up. Never give up. Just keep trying and trying and yeah. trying and trying. I tried for four years to come to the orphanage before I came, and now I've never looked back. <laughs> and I will never look back until they kick me out of the country. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, it's just you, uh, a lot of people say to me, oh, how do you get into it? How did you get into it? And you explain, oh, I did the volunteering. I studied. I volunteered, volunteered, volunteered. And they say, oh, it's not that easy then. It's not. It's mm -hmm. not easy. It's not easy, but at the end of the day, it's mm -hmm. the best thing ever. Mm -hmm. um, and like Yolandi said, you don't do it for the money. <laughs> it's no. for the love of it. <laughs> so if you're looking for money, it's not the right job for you. <laughs> and what about you, Zanri, as well? You, you've just kind of more recently start, came along, haven't you? Um, well, with me is I just after I ended up with school, I um, I went to a, like a, a conservation academy mm -hmm. um, where I had like a first year, I had hospitality and conservation where I could choose whichever one. And then in my second year, I just fell in love. I knew I had like the love of animals in my bloodline actually because I grew up with animals around me and everything so yeah just after there I just got into captive animal management and I just grew a passion for rehabilitating and releasing animals uh, the joy just to get them back into the wild again so yeah that's just for for on my perspective but um for me there's a lot of people that ask me for advice on how they can start, but I 100% agree with Sarah and Yulandi is go and volunteer. Um, it doesn't matter for what. Um, even if you want to change occupations or whatever, <laughs> just go and do it if you want to and don't stop. Yeah, no, that's uh, all of everything you've all said is is very true, I think. And it's it's admirable how, how passionate you all are and it sounds like you guys are doing really good work so maybe one day when it's safe I'll be able to come and visit you all and, and see what see what you do and yes, yes definitely yeah. get up at three in the morning with us to feed babies <laughs> <laughs> baby rhinos and that's fine by me yeah that's fine but we have we have run out of time for the recording so um thank you so much for giving us your time I know you guys are so busy and it's late at night over there but it's been lovely to speak to all three of you and and keep up the good work you guys are doing an amazing job thank oh, you thank you thanks for having us <laughs> no problem